Father, as we get into your word now, we talk about faith and forgiveness. This is a wonderful story of the paralytic helped by four loving friends who found a way to get him to the feet of the king. I pray that you would increase our faith, Lord. If there's one thing we need more of, it's faith. We need more love, no doubt. We need more power in our lives, but we need more faith. Father, I pray that you would increase our faith. I believe that this is an important message for this congregation this morning. We're going to do the Harvest Crusade up here, coming up here in a month. We're going to reach out more to our community, and we need increased faith, Lord. And our faith is going to face opposition. We're going to face challenges in our life. But Lord, let us say like the man with the demon-possessed son, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Help me to take my stand. And I know that you're going to meet even a mustard seed of faith you can do wonders with, Lord. So let us place our faith in a great and awesome God. And I just pray you'll take this message where you want it to go and let us have ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Mark chapter two, we are looking at a story that comes on the heels of the leper that was cleansed by Jesus Christ. And remember, he had a terrible disease that separated him from much of society. He probably just uh, dwelt in a leper colony. He was considered unclean and he had the courage to come to Jesus and risk everything. And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean, and the Lord said, and I, and I pray that these words kind of rung in your ears and your heart this week, the Lord's reply is, I am willing. The Lord is willing to touch us no matter what our condition may be. And on the heels of that story, we're going to have the story of the paralytic. But before we go there, I want you to remember something about the miracles of Jesus Christ. And this is something that I uh, stated last week. I hope you remember it or wrote it down. Jesus' miracles were also parables. So his miracles were genuine, authentic. They met a need of the moment, but they were also a picture of something deeper. The leper is a picture of a man or a woman who is filled with sin and sin's disease, and it makes you insensitive, and it kills you. And the picture of the paralytic right on the heels of the leper is a picture of the world and Israel and the world paralyzed by sin. The Bible paints a picture that we are all dead in trespasses and sins. I know it's hard to imagine, but that's what the Bible says. It says that we are weighed down by sin. Sin paralyzes the soul. Guilty consciences show up in sometimes in medical conditions. I even heard recent reports where they are tying cancer diagnoses to stress. There is a connection in our lives, and when we're healed in the soul, we find a newfound freedom. The Bible teaches in Isaiah 53 that the Lord laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. We've all had like a stone of weight on us. It's sin and transgression. And the Lord lifts that off of us and placed it on his son. That's the beauty of the gospel. And that's the deeper picture of these miracle stories. They happen. They met a legitimate need. They are authentic. They gave witness to the testimony of Christ. But they're also a spiritual picture of a condition. We're all filled with the leprosy of sin. We're all paralyzed by sin and transgressions. And we need the help of the Lord. And one requirement for us to to, uh, find healing is to recognize our situation. We must see ourselves in these stories. 
We're not just onlookers. We are the leprous one. We are the paralyzed one. That's the deeper story. If we can look at the story that way, we will see ourselves in the story, and we're going to see something about both faith and forgiveness. You've got to know your situation to run to the one who will bring the solution. And we're also going to see something about faith. Faith will always face barriers, always face obstacles. A church member who went to first service told me that he heard uh, Adrian Rogers say recently that faith is a lot like film. It always develops in the dark. And that is how our lives are. So let's pick up the story. This is Mark chapter 2, Faith and Forgiveness, verse 1. And when he, that is Jesus, Mark 2, 1, had come back to Capernaum, Several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. Now, Capernaum, which I showed you in last week's message and I think the week before, was a seaside village. It's still there today. You can still visit it. And it was known as Jesus' hometown in Matthew 9, verse 1. And the reason it was known as Jesus' adopted hometown is because he got kicked out of his own hometown. (laughs) He was preaching in Nazareth, and the people didn't like his message, so they booted him out. So Capernaum, this little fishing village, became Jesus' hometown. And there, Peter and Andrew lived. It may have been Peter's mother-in-law's house. It may may have been his house. But they had a home there, right on the sea. And Jesus had been there, and he had been performing all these miracles. He left to go to other towns, and now, several days afterward, Jesus came back. And many were gathered together, verse 2, so that there was no longer room even near the door. And Jesus was speaking, would you notice, the word to them. Jesus said this was his mission. If you look at Mark 1, verse 38, it says, And he said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, in order that I may preach there also, for that is what I came out for. Jesus came to bear witness to the truth, and he was a preacher. And he preached the word to them. That's the the goal, the charge of a preacher is to preach the word in season and out of season because your ultimate healing will come through God's word. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The word comes into my life and brings healing and cleansing. Have you noticed? The word of God, you go to a Bible study and it just kind of resets you and cleanses you and kind of washes those dirty old brains. Boy, those dirty old brains need a washing sometimes, right? And it just cleanses you. That's what the word of God does. That's why you need the word consistently in your life. And that's what Jesus did. He was preaching the word and a crowd had assembled and they were packed in at the door and I'm sure people were jostling for position. I'm sure people were trying to get in just to to see him. I'm sure they were waiting with bated breath when he had left town and all these people were gathered together. There was no longer any room. I'm sure the crowd was filled with disenfranchised people, desperate people, diseased people. People struggling for space, kind of like when someone sits in your seat at church, or it gets a little crowded and someone says, can you, can you move over? And you give them one of those look like, don't you know this is my seat? I have claimed this seat. So all these people are at the door, people in desperate situations. Maybe some people were just curious. Maybe some people just wanted to know more. We do know that Capernaum, the word we shared in a previous message is that although Jesus did many miracles here, they didn't seem to repent. And they came, look at verse 3, bringing to him a paralytic 
carried by four men. So all of a sudden, the camera shifts to a paralyzed man, and he's on a stretcher, and he's being carried by four friends. Now, I don't know who the guy in the stretcher was. I don't know if he was an uncle to them. I don't know if he was a son, a father, a friend. But four men, no no wheelchairs in this day. And if you were in this kind of situation, you had to be carried around by people. And so what they had is they had stretchers. And each person took a corner, and the man was being carried around. And perhaps this man was a man that had heard about the miracles of Jesus. It's possible that maybe one of the four, if not all four, had experienced Jesus' preaching and maybe even his touch. Maybe there were times when they sat around the table and they said, if Jesus comes back to town, we're going to find a way to get you to him because he has the power to heal. And they had experienced that in Capernaum. And I would tell you that the motivation for these four men to carry their friend was love. Love, the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5 tells us that the love of Christ should compel us. Does the love of Christ compel you to do stuff? Are you moved by God's love for the world? I mean, it wasn't a convenient situation to have to carry this guy on a stretcher and try to find a way to get him to the Lord, but that's indeed what friends do. They will find a way. Love drove them to Jesus. Now, go to Luke, the next book to your right. Luke chapter 5. Luke has a parallel account, and he gives us a little bit more insight, a little bit more detail. Luke 5, it's here in verse 15. And I just would say, if you have a family member that's suffering, if you have a friend that is going through tough times, it feels like the weight of the world's on them, one of the greatest things you can do is get them to the feet of Jesus. So it says in Luke 5.15, Luke 5.15, but the news about Jesus was spreading even farther and, a great, and great multitudes were gathering to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But he himself would often slip away to the wilderness to pray and pray. In the midst of all the craziness that Jesus faced, all the huge crowds jockeying for position, he would often slip away to pray. May I suggest to you that that's one of the keys for all of our lives? to try to often slip away and pray. It doesn't have to be two hours, by the way. You can slip away and pray for two minutes. Two minutes of prayer is better than no minutes of prayer. And have you found that when you tend to slip away and pray before you go into a meeting, before you have that conversation with a family member, it goes a lot better than if you didn't pray? How many of us have not slipped away to pray And then we faced a situation where we spoke from our flesh instead of from the Spirit. Anybody have regrets when you didn't pray before you had the, just a few of you, wow. It's a bunch of spiritual people in the room. (laughs) Man, how many times I'd like to rewind the clock. I'd like to say, judge, can you strike those comments from the record? But it's too late. We need to slip away more often to pray. If the Messiah needed to do that, how much more us? Look at verse 17, Luke 5, and it came about one day that he was teaching and there were some Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting there, and they were sitting there in judgment, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. So the religious leaders are from all around. And the power of the Lord was present for him to perform healing. And behold, some men were carrying on a bed a man who was paralyzed. Same story. 
And they were trying to bring him in and set him down in front of him. There's a connection between Luke 5.16 and Luke 5.17. The power of the Lord was present for healing, and you're going to have more power in your life when you pray. When you pray, heaven is enlisted. When you pray, evil is resisted. Mountains are moved. His will is approved when you pray. And Jesus modeled this, and so much so that the disciples finally said, Lord, teach us to pray. And remember, he gave them the famous Lord's Prayer. And prayer and power go together. It's been said, your public life, if you have public power, it will be manifested in private prayer. If you want to have more power in your life, we need to spend more time praying and spending time with Jesus. And the power of the Lord... The power for healing was available to heal this man, but there were obstacles, back to Mark chapter two, and the obstacles were a huge crowd. Everybody gathered at the door, and I'm sure that nobody wanted to give any space to four men with a stretcher. Can you imagine? Everybody's trying to get in, and these guys show up with the guy on the stretcher, and you're like, "Uh uh-uh, you ain't getting my spot. I've been in this line for hours And I'm sure it had to be a very difficult situation to show up with a friend and hope you can get him to Jesus only to find an obstacle in your way. My friends, my brothers and sisters, faith will always have obstacles. Always. It says in Mark 2, verse 4, and being unable to get to him, to Jesus, because of the crowd, they remove the roof. I like to think of this as they they raise the roof for Jesus. Some of you guys are going, Pastor Michael, that's from the 90s. I don't care. They raised the roof for Jesus. Faith found a way. Enough with the nonsense that it's got to be the Lord when it's easy. Well, the Lord closed the door. There's a crowd of the door. I guess it's not the Lord's will that our friend get healed today. Is that the size of our faith? You know, that's not even proper theology. The Bible teaches that faith was always tested with Red Seas and giants and Jordan rivers and all kinds of obstacles in the way. Your faith is going to be tested. In fact, it's not faith if you don't have an obstacle. Amen? Some of us need to change our thinking about what we think the Lord's in. Oh, the Lord must have closed the door. I guess we'll just go home now. No, is that the size of our faith? The Lord says he wants our faith to be the faith that could remove mountains or dig holes in roofs. Are you willing to have your faith stretched this year? Are you willing to say just because the first door is shut, that doesn't mean that God's not in it. In fact, your faith is going to grow when you step out and face giants and challenges in your life. Are you willing to say this year, I'm going to face some giants? I'm going to believe that God will meet me there. And being unable to get to him, verse 4, because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Now, in the ancient world, they had houses with packed roofs. They would run timbers across the roof. In the the Middle East, uh, what it would be was timbers, and then they would have sticks going crossways, and then they would pack the roof with earth 
dirt and everything, and they would pack it to two feet thick to try to prevent it from leaking. So they would put all the wood and stuff up there, and then they would pack it with earth and more earth and more earth, and these were flat roofs. And so it was so packed that it would rain, and the sun would hit it, and even grass and plants would begin to grow on people's roofs. These guys, when they lower the paralytic through the roof, they had to dig a hole. And I don't think they were carrying shovels with them, my friends. I think they had to start digging with their hands. And they had to dig a hole through a couple of feet of a roof, which I'm sure was not a five-minute project. They had to dig and dig and dig some more. And can you imagine the people down below who were under this part of the roof with dirt clods and stuff on them? Hey! Wouldn't you be a little upset? What are you doing? There's dirt falling on me. Cut it out. Stop it. I mean, faith has to have some persistence. Is it just a few voices that stop you from digging? We were in a staff meeting, and one of our pastors said, you know, I heard somebody once say that uh, God will call our faith to dig through layers often. It's not just, you know, that we just do a little something. Sometimes we have to dig. Sometimes we have to get our hands dirty, and we're going to have opposition. And imagine how big that hole had to be. It had to be big enough for a stretcher. Not just a little hole. They had to make a man-sized hole that would allow the stretcher to be lowered through the hole. That's something. That's faith. Can you imagine Peter standing down below, maybe next to the Lord? It's his mother-in-law's house. You're going to fix that, Peter might say. You made the hole. (laughs) You're fixing it. This is messy stuff. This is not easy. And there were probably other people standing outside who, when they first went up, and they had outside stairwells in, the, in these ancient houses, so they could have climbed up an outside stairwell or maybe found a neighbor's stairwell and then carried the guy you know, carefully across. And so they, they went up there and they dug and they lowered him down. And can you imagine some people standing outside and saying, hey, what are you... I wish I would have thought of that. <laughs> How many people take big steps of faith and they find a way when there doesn't seem to be a way and then we stand back and say why didn't you think of that why didn't i think of that see the lord honors faith and these men go up and faith found a way because love drove them they didn't they weren't going to be turned away just by a supposed closed door how about you what does it take for you to give up and go home Well, these guys wouldn't. If you were on the stretcher, would you want your friends to fight for you? Well, that's what they did. And they removed the roof above him when they had dug an opening and they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. Moses left Egypt. He did not fear the wrath of the king as seeing him who is unseen. We often say as Christians, we want to walk by faith and not by sight. So sometimes when we see a closed door, we need to pray, Lord, give me your eyes. I know you can illuminate a way when there doesn't seem to be a way. In fact, you are the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah, there's a sea here, but there's a God who made the sea. 
There's an obstacle here, but I believe that, Lord, you can knock down obstacles. That's faith. Faith is kind of like a muscle. Saving faith is a different category. Saving faith, the moment you believe in Jesus, he gives you forgiveness of your sins. But active faith, the Hebrews 11 kind of faith, is a life of faith. It's walking and saying, Lord, I believe that you're going to meet me here as I trust in you. Faith is not always clean, tidy, or cheap. Someone was going to have to patch that hole. Sometimes we don't want to stick around after the hole is dug, right? We don't mind digging the hole, but then we say, hey, uh, is there, do you have anybody around here who can clean it up afterwards? Because the Super Bowl's on this afternoon, and I've got a lineup of food that I have decided to partake of before kickoff. It includes chili dogs, chips, things that will give me a tummy ache. <laughs> so I don't want to stick around. I don't, I don't have to clean up any messes. Is that your faith? You want it always to be clean and easy? You want to be able to show up and go home? That's not what the Lord's calling us to do. And you're going to watch that the Lord honors the faith of these four men who stuck to it. In Isaiah 30, verse 21, it says, In your ears you will hear a word behind you. This is the way. Walk in it. Whenever you turn to the right or to the left, Isaiah 30, verse 21, you will hear a voice say to you, this is the way. Walk in it. And these men knew that Jesus was the way. And Jesus, verse 5, seeing their faith. Whose faith did he see? Somebody came up to me after first service and said, well, he saw the faith of the four men. I, I believe so. I think they're the focus of the story. Did the paralyzed man have faith as well? I think it took some faith just to go with this plan. Just to lay there. Just to say, please don't drop me. I've got enough problems. I hope the pulley system that you've come up with is going to work. I'm sure it was embarrassing that all of a sudden every eye in that house turned to him. And I'm sure there were a lot of upset people. How dare him dig a hole in the roof? Can you believe it? I'm sure there was a lot of chatter, a lot of disgusted people. How would you feel if you were that man? And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, my son, would you notice in verse 5, this is a shocking statement. Your sins are forgiven. Now, if you're one of the four friends that has gone through all this stuff to get your paralyzed friend to Jesus, wouldn't you say something like this? Ah, uh, Lord, I don't know if you've noticed, but he needs physical healing. He's paralyzed. I hope we didn't do all this work for you to make some statement like about his sins. He can't walk. Lord, <laughs> Thanks, Captain Obvious. Appreciate your help on this one. Why would he say your sins are forgiven? You know, in Jewish uh, theology at the time, the rabbis taught that every sickness was tied to a sin that you had committed. So if you were in this kind of situation, they would say maybe your parents sinned, 
Maybe you sinned. Maybe you even sinned in the womb. But your paralysis, your leprosy, your problem, whatever it may be, must be because you have sin in your life. And of course, we all know, because I've told you that Jesus' miracles were parables, that the man is a picture of all of us, paralyzed by sin, under the weight of sin. Romans 3, 9 says we're all under it. It's like a boulder, and the Lord lifts it, and he laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's the paralyzed man. He's a picture of all of us. Our greatest need is not physical healing. Our greatest need is spiritual healing. Do you believe that? I said in a previous message that everyone that Jesus healed in Capernaum, or for that matter, any other town, that healing, physically speaking, was at best temporary. Those people were all still going to die of their last disease. And in fact, the indictment on Capernaum was this, that Jesus did all these miracles and the bulk of the people did not repent. They did not see the spiritual picture behind the healing. And today we have a lot of talk about healing and stuff. And I know that when we're sick, we desperately desire to be healthy. I don't want to downplay that at all. But the biggest need that people have today is not to have a bill paid, not to have a meal provided. Those are important things. Their biggest need is spiritual healing. And during the week, we all spend time here as pastors at the church, and we have people who come with needs during the week. Some are legitimate. Some people come to the church for help because they want a temporary need to be met. But sometimes when we meet those people, I'm just going to be blunt with you we're sometimes wondering about their motives. They know the church can be benevolent and kind and gracious. So they come and they get a need met, but we often, when we start preaching the gospel, the wall goes up. Now, I just want you to take care of my shelter for a night. I want you to feed me for a night. No doubt we should be doing that, but they often don't want to hear about their deepest need. And to be blunt with you, sometimes their situation it's connected to the fact that that deepest need has not been met. Now, I want to be careful here. We all know that not every situation is tied to sin. We all know that not every sickness is a consequence of sin. But some people are in a situation that they've created, and frankly, they don't want to be cured. Jesus, the man at the pool of Bethesda, He's been in this condition for, I think, 38 years. And Jesus says to him, do you want to be well? I mean, that man could say, are you kidding me? I've been in this condition for 38 years. But Jesus always asks the question for a reason. Because maybe, deep down, he didn't want to. That's the question. And so Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? Probably the whole group, but I would imagine the focus is probably more on the four that dug through the roof here. In the Old Testament, there is a connection between sickness and uh, sin, and I don't want to push it too far, but I want to remind you of this verse. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, if they will seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will what? Heal their land. Is it possible that more things that we realize have a spiritual root to them? People who are not doing well emotionally, people who are having other problems, could it be that we don't give as much credit to the spiritual dimension of life as maybe we should? 
Well, God looked at Israel and he, he kind of connected the two. Psalm 147, verses 1 through 3, if we want to write it down, it says, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant and praise is becoming. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcast of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up their wounds. In order to find healing, we've got to let the Lord in. Psalm 41, verse 3 says, The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed in his illness. Thou dost restore him to health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal my soul. Psalm 41, verse 4. For I've sinned against you. And then Jeremiah 3.22, God says, Return, O faithless sons, and I will heal your faithlessness. Hosea 14.4 says, I will heal their apostasy. And James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So there is this connection between sickness and sin. In fact, sin in many ways is a sickness and you don't want to push this too far theologically but you need to understand that the Bible often connects the two. Not always, but there is a connection. And here is this desperate man and Jesus meets his greatest need. One writer said, healing is a gracious movement of God into the sphere of the withering and decay which are the tokens of death at work in a man's life. Every healing that God does is a driving back of death and an invasion of the province of sin. Sin is seen as a power reigning in people's lives. And the beauty of this picture, and I don't want to push this analogy too far, is that God cut a hole into heaven and his son came down to heal our paralysis. That's the beauty of the motive that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And I'm sure there were some there thinking, why does he talk about sin? Why does he, why does he focus on this man's sin? There were some of the scribes, verse 6, Mark 2, some of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone. The Old Testament is filled with these um, ideas that only God can forgive sin. If you want to write this down, Exodus 34, 6, Psalm 103, verse 3, Isaiah 43, 25, and Daniel 9, 9. Only God can forgive sin. So the implication of the words of the, and they're not even words, they're just thoughts right now, is who does he think he is? Telling this man that his sins are forgiven. Why does he speak this way? And they were thinking it in their hearts. Matthew 9, 3 and 4 says, they were saying to themselves, this fellow blasphemes, and Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, why are you thinking evil in your hearts? It's very inconvenient when someone knows what you're thinking. In fact, it's another testimony that Jesus is God. Not only does he forgive sins, but he knows people's thoughts. Have you ever had a moment where you were thinking something and you were around a group of people and you praised God that other people could not hear your thoughts. Because you sometimes think to yourself, if they only knew what I was thinking right now, this would be a rather uncomfortable moment, would it not? 
You ever have just a thought pop into your head and you go, oh my goodness, where did that come from? Thank you, Lord, that my, my thoughts are not on display before everybody, but your thoughts are on display before God. And as a man thinks, so he is. Jesus said it's out of the heart that come all the stuff that eventually comes out of the mouth. God only knows the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, God knows the heart. And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Can you imagine being a religious leader? You're sitting on your seat of judgment, all pompous. Yeah, who do you think he is? All of a sudden, Jesus confronts you about your thoughts. (laughs) What? Why are you reasoning that way in your mind? Can you imagine if you had that power? Just for one day, you might not ever want to have that power again to know what people are thinking. And he said, which is easier to say to the paralytic, the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your pallet and walk? What's easier? Well, people could say talk is cheap. You could make this statement, but how do we really know that that is what's occurred? But in order that you may know that the Son of Man, from Daniel seven thirteen and 14, has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, you know what's coming, right? Get up. I say to you, rise, take your pallet, and go home. And can you imagine being that paralytic? In Matthew's version, Jesus says to him, take courage, my sons, your sins are forgiven. And some of you just need to park there because sometimes you as a Christian don't believe your sins are forgiven. And Jesus might say to you, take courage, my daughter, your sins are forgiven. You say, are you sure, Lord? Even the big ones, even the thoughts I had today, take courage. Your sins are forgiven. Do you believe that? If you are in Christ, that's the reality of who you are. Be of good cheer. Your sins, the biggest problem we have, are what? They're forgiven. Now you can rise to new life and you can walk. Now, imagine being this guy. You've spent perhaps the last several years on a stretcher and all of a sudden he says, rise and walk and you're able to rise. Can you imagine your friends up top? woo Yeah! And people might, in the room might say, hey, calm down. Calm down. Save that for the Super Bowl, man. When you go home today, you can paint your face orange and black or blue and gray or whatever, and then you can throw your Cheetos when your team doesn't do well and get all fired up, but this is church, man. Calm it down. You ever have a person next to you and they're worshiping a little stronger than you? They're waxing on and waxing off. And you kind of do this thing. You don't say it, but God knows your thoughts, right? Boy, that's a little fanatical, don't you? This, this whole, what's going on with that, Right? But when you go home and you, your team scores in the Super Bowl, you got no problem, right? There's going to be a bunch of fanatical people. By the way, they paid about $50,000 per ticket, whatever it is, right? And they have no problem going nuts for their team today. But this is church. Let's calm it down a little bit. Well, I'm sure the friends were hooping and hollering. And could you imagine this guy rising up in the middle of this room? <laughs> he must have been woohooing, man. He's like Paul Hicks. If you guys know Paul Hicks, he's just woo-hooing. 
And he is a picture of a man who's now been forgiven and resurrected to new life. He's a picture of a person born again. And when that happens, you can't help but want to say something, I hope. And he started glorifying God. He arose immediately. He took up his pallet and went out in the sight of all so that they were all amazed and were glorifying who? God. And they were saying, we've never seen anything like this. Can you imagine him going down the dusty roads with the sun behind him, maybe with some of his friends, his four friends? I know that's a weak dance, but hey, he's probably going down the street. Woo, yeah, yeah. There was joy. Joy in the streets of Capernaum. He was praising and glorifying God. It says of the ministry of the Messiah, Isaiah 35, verse 6, Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb will shout for joy, for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. I'm sure there was great joy. Go over to Luke's gospel and we'll finish it up. So here's this man. Jesus has just raised him, and the theological implications are huge. Here's why. The, the Pharisees believed, the scribes believed, that a person could not really show forgiveness until their physical healing happened because they thought that their condition was tied to sin. So physical healing had to mean that spiritual healing had taken place. And now their theology is really challenged but because when the guy rises and walks, what's implied in the healing is that his sins have also been taken care of. Here's why. They can't be consistent in their theology. They believe that every disease was tied to sin. So if the man's healed of his disease, guess what? His sin has also been dealt with. And now there's some people in the room that are not particularly happy about what has taken place. And so look at verse 23 of Luke chapter 5. Verse 23, which is easier to say? You have, your sins have been forgiven you or to say, rise and walk. Now, they're both probably easy to say. It's another thing to back them up. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your stretcher and go home. And at once he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on and went home, here it is, glorifying God. Can you imagine that? I don't know how far away his house was. Could you imagine him walking through the door that day? Maybe his wife and he had a conversation. I'm not sure that this is a good idea, honey. Friends are waiting at the door. We should go. We, we, we think it's, I don't know. A lot of, we've already heard there's a lot of people here. We're just gonna go, honey. Can you imagine now this guy that's lived on a stretcher? He comes home, opens the door. <laughs> hey, hey. Can you imagine being part of that household? That must have been a cool moment. And here's the spiritual picture. There are people everywhere on spiritual stretchers. The world is under this weight of sin. And four friends on an afternoon in Capernaum found a way. They dug through the rubble. They made a mess. And they got their friends to the feet of Jesus. And I just want to ask you, what is the Lord calling you to do in light of this? 
in this new year where maybe you've said, hey, I want my faith to increase. I want to do more. I want to get more people to the feet of Jesus so that they can experience healing. We're going to host a Harvest America here. And one of the biggest goals is not to have a bunch of Christians sitting here when we do Harvest America. The goal is going to be to have unbelievers in the house so that they can meet the prince and it'll be the prince and the paralytic and we want to see a bunch of people rise up spiritually that day. But it's going to take us taking the corner of a stretcher and saying, come, I'll even pick you up. I don't know. I don't don't know. Should I go? I'll pick you up. Just take one corner of the stretcher and God will do incredible miracles in our midst. Would you pray with me, Father? Thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for this hopeful scene. Thank you that the greatest need of the paralytic was met that day. And he, like the former leper, became a former paralytic, a a man who could give testimony to the goodness of God. He may have faced other challenges physically in his life, but one thing he knew Once he could not walk, and now he could. And that walk is a spiritual picture of what you do for us, Lord. You you raise us to new life when we're dead in sins and trespasses. This man was a hopeless man, but he had four friends who loved him and were willing to move, seems like heaven and earth, to open a hole in a roof and get their friend to the feet of Jesus. And you honored that faith, Lord, and we do believe that you will honor faith. The Bible's clear on that. But our faith will have obstacles. Some of us are facing giants here today, Jordan rivers, Red Seas, difficult people, difficult circumstances, difficult personal challenges. But we know that when we just take a little step towards you, you are so gracious to meet us. Your power is available. And thank you that you honor faith.